Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Ready. Florida Week. Nothing has a ring to it quite like that. And the balls travel to the swamp. We'll visit with John Adams today on the program. The highest and lowest moments in the swamp. Also the greatest UT player in the swamp. Where does the swamp rank among the hardest places to play? Pat Dooley will join us with WRUF to give us a preview of the Tennessee-Florida game from Florida's perspective. And we'll talk some SEC with John, too. If you ran an NFL franchise and had to draft an SEC quarterback from this year, who would it be? And also, Mel Tucker, we're going to touch on that because, man, the finalists for the job that Jeremy Pruitt got were not good. One was Mel Tucker. Kevin Steele was another. So we've got a lot to get to. And then with the injury last night to Aaron Rodgers, Want to talk about most notable Tennessee injuries early in the season that derailed some offseason hype. So we'll get to that. A lot going on as uh, John Adams will join us here shortly. Caleb Calhoun, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I am not as embarrassed as Josh Allen is this morning, who got to go up against Zach Wilson and committed four turnovers and lost. That's fair. That's very fair. Remember and, when you tried uh, to tell me earlier last year he was better than Dak Prescott? I don't think he is. I think Josh Allen is still hot garbage. You I've can't use my you can't use my cowboy fandom against me because I will say outlandish things <laughs> to rip the Cowboys. <laughs> so no, you're right. But you that's the one time where I have absolutely no objectivity. Speaking of Mr. Objectivity, it's John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel who joins us now. And I can objectively say that is a fantastic shirt, John. I love that. Thanks. I would appreciate that more if it was coming from someone who knew a lot about attire, wardrobe, that kind of thing. But I'll take it as a compliment. Thank you. I appreciate it. And what do you think about Caleb's outfit today before we get to uh, some some Tennessee, Florida talk? Um, <laughs> he looks really nice. <laughs> I, I, I'm missing something here. No, 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 you don't miss anything. It's just like what, when you ask a man how another man looks. I mean, it's, no, it's awkward for all of us. No, it's not awkward. I, I just not. I'm not quite getting that shirt with the sports jacket. But maybe that's because I'm seeing you and you know, um, in, in this vein and not up close. And uh, I think he looks tight. Lance Pepper said, a, uh, did, John, "Did John buy that shirt from a hemp store?" So let's talk more. No, I didn't. <laughs> so no, you were going to say something about your your coat and shirt and how they yes. match up. Okay. Like millennials it. started a trend before COVID. See, there's millennials and Gen Zers. Gen Zers have totally different fashion trends from us millennials. But we started a trend before COVID called T-shirt Tuesday, where you wear T-shirts into work, but you make it look nice. So I always threw a blazer with my T-shirt on T-shirt Tuesday, oh. and I stick to that. There you go. Yeah. Okay, it gives me new hope for that generation, Caleb. 
John's wearing a, John's wearing a Toke It Up Tuesday shirt. A what? A Toke It Up Tuesday shirt. <laughs> it's, really, it's got a hippie shirt. I like it. All right. Let's get going right now as it is time for today's tough question. And it's brought to you by Andy Mason of AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. The players-only meeting that we discussed yesterday, I want to get John's take on this. And it was something we broke at OffTheHookSports.com. There were other people talking about it, and we appreciate that. And they want to give out a lot of credit, but that's okay. That's fine. But um, let's dive into this. John, a players meeting, you and I discussed it briefly uh, last night for this football team. Why does it matter or does it? I say that it matters and it's very significant because I don't think it was all Joe Milton's fault that they had uh, some uh, out of sorts throws or out of sorts catches or lack of chemistry between the quarterback and the receivers. But I was impressed by the fact that he said, it's all on me. I'll take the heat for it. I thought that showed great leadership. Why do you think that players only meeting matters or, or do you not? I don't think it matters. Players only meetings are, are cliche. Uh, you know, I, I believe more in just go out and do it. You don't need to talk about it. I've seen teams have players only meetings and come out and just get manhandled the following uh, the following game. Sometimes they play well. I, I just don't think it matters. Uh, Joe Milton taking all the blame. I don't know if that's such a good sign. Uh, he wasn't throwing the ball well, and he said in the past that he has a hard time letting mistakes go, that he dwells on them too much. Well, to me, this is kind of dwelling on it. It's just I'm taking all the blame. I did badly. I'll do better. I, I don't think it was necessary. Football is a team game. And some of those throws, yeah, he was off target. On some of the throws, maybe a great receiver would catch. But when you're hitting somebody on the back shoulder pad on passes like that, you're not helping them out a lot. So he was at fault, but I just think maybe that's overdoing it. Interesting. Caleb, what do you, what's your take on that? John, aren't, doesn't it depend on the context of the players only meeting? And I talked about this yesterday. You know, if if you're four and six and on a five game losing streak, and Jimbo Fisher's your head coach and he's about to get fired, and you call a players only meeting, that's desperation. But isn't there? And I brought up, and you probably remember this. I thought it happened, but I can't confirm it. Didn't Peyton Manning have a players only meeting after Tennessee lost to Florida in '97 because it was so mentally derailing to lose to Florida again? And didn't that really help them refocus the next few weeks after that? Uh, I don't remember that, Caleb. Uh, I would guess that Tennessee had a players-only meeting every time after Florida, after the Florida game. Um, I mean, the the schedule turned that way. That was a very one of Tennessee's most talented teams. So uh, I think they would have done what they did anyway. But yeah, I mean that. It, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to evaluate how just how much that means if it makes the players feel better about themselves that's good uh but we're only two games into the season tennessee hasn't played a competitive opponent so i I just i just don't think it matters much right now your column 
<clears throat> following the game against Austin P was pretty critical as well. It should have been Tennessee did not play their best game. Somebody within the program told me uh, that it was embarrassing. And um, I'm curious what you think of Tennessee now that maybe you is different than what you thought of them a week ago. Yeah. And this is a moving target. Uh, things cha- can change every week. That's great point. Uh, I mean, I, I wrote after the first game, I thought Tennessee was better than I thought it was in preseason. Then after the second game, it's like, Whoa, what? Uh, the reason it looks so bad is we expect there are certain things. We've got a track record with Josh Heupel now. Line his offense up against an inferior opponent, and it's points galore. The points just keep coming. An inferior opponent just can't stop that offense. We've seen it again and again. Tennessee averaged over 40 points per game for his first 27 games. And he wasn't loaded with talent. That was a depleted roster the first year he did that when he almost hit the 40-point mark. So that was stunning to me that you're playing the worst team on your schedule. Well, maybe Virginia's worse than I thought it was, and I thought it was really bad. But you're playing an FCS opponent, which is so limited in numbers and in talent, and you go out there, and that was still a game in the second half. So you're not substituting guys and giving guys playing time and checking out second and third team teamers. You're trying to win a game, and I thought that was pretty stunning. It was just it was the worst performance of a uh, Josh Heupel era, I thought. Yep, I, I did too. Um, and we could talk about weather. <clears throat> we could talk about all kinds of issues, but uh, I think it's needless to say a little worrisome. We'll see how they bounce back in the swamp uh portions of the program this portion in fact brought to you by andy mason real estate.com go to andy mason real estate.com over 40 years of business right there in east tennessee in knoxville that will certainly take care of your real estate needs best prices best service in the biz andy mason real estate.com caleb john i was i've, I've been in, and david told you i've been on the throw out the orange bowl train since it happened last year, I just thought, and, and, but one thing I did take into account that shocked me on Saturday was I felt the thing Clemson did in the orange Bowl was they played just extremely soft coverage to take away the deep ball. And Joe Milton methodically did make accurate passes over the middle. And I thought that was a strength. How shocking was it that it seemed like Austin P did the same thing. Virginia's doing it too. Teams are very committed to not giving up those giant big plays to Josh Heupel's offense this year. And didn't it seem like Joe Milton was the exact opposite quarterback throwing over the middle that he was in the Orange Bowl last year? Uh, Very much so. Uh, I thought the Virginia game was a continuation of the Clemson game. We saw the same Joe Milton. Yeah, he had a couple of bad passes in a series. Uh, But by and large, we saw a guy playing under control, not forcing things, making fairly accurate throws, uh, just as he did against Clemson. And then uh, against Austin P of all teams, we saw the Joe Milton from Bowling Green 2021 uh, where the plays are there and he's not making them. And yeah, those, those passes hit receivers sometimes, but they're thrown 100 miles an hour and it's a back shoulder catch. And maybe some NFL guys make those plays. 
but it, bottom line, Tennessee had open receivers, and that's what we've come to appreciate about a Josh Heupel offense. It seems as though receivers are always open, but you got to hit them, and he didn't do that. I mean, it wasn't like he was throwing into a small window there. They were open, and he just missed them, and I think that's cause for concern. I don't know why he might have been more anxious in that game than the one before. So it makes me wonder if this will be how the season goes, that there will be good days and bad days, uh, accurate days, not so accurate days. I don't know. We got to get, we got to get more evidence, but I don't think after that game, I'm not as sure about Joe Milton as I was before that. And I was pretty much on his bandwagon after the Clemson game. Joe, here are my thoughts on this team. And again, we haven't seen a quality opponent. We can throw weather, blah, 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 out there. It's Austin P, blah, blah, blah. But I I think here's how you're going to see this team develop is you're going to see last year was an incredible passing offense, a very good running uh, offense, and an eh defense. I think the way this team is going to be successful is you're going to have an excellent running offense still a good passing offense and a good to maybe great defense. I think that's how you're going to see them develop and they'll win in different ways this year. Thoughts? Well, that's a very optimistic view at this point. Uh, Maybe that will come to pass. Uh, I really like what the defense is doing. We talked about that after the first game. This did not look like last season's defense. Forget the stats, and the stats have been very good against weak opponents. Tennessee is harassing the passer, piling up sacks, tackles for loss, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but so the defense is better. I mean, you don't even need to see the stats. It's just faster, stronger, and it, I think it has more depth. So that's a good thing. But the offense, I'm really questioning the receivers now. Uh, I'm curious about some spots in the offensive line. Tennessee's success under Hypel has been predicated on 45-point games. You better come in. When you're playing his team, you better plan on scoring a whole bunch of points. Now, maybe, as you're pointing out, maybe things shift. I'm not willing, I'm not willing yet to say this is going to be a great running team. you you got to see it against SEC competition. Uh, not against Austin P in Virginia. Um, so, yeah, that's a – I think it can lean more on its defense. So maybe it doesn't have to score 45 points to win a big game. Maybe it can score 35. Uh, but I still would like to see – I'd like to see more evidence against higher competition, that's all. Very fair. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and get to four downs. Four downs is now – We're going to talk about some high and lows at the Swamp with John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. I'm Dave Hooker. Four Downs brought to you by Zen Sports. Zen Sports tell you more about them here momentarily. Four Downs right now. Four Downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Bounds. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, here we go. The Vols at Gainesville this weekend. Four downs. 
is brought to you by our friends at Zen Sports. And I encourage you to check that website out and download the app. That would be the most appropriate thing as, again, Zen Sports is the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonus that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get with their cash rewards program. You get a lot of cash for a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for the first 15 days. You got to use the promo code hooked. That's hooked. Unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting, keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that. And refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards too. Zen Sports is bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. And uh, also gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. Must be 21 and over. And in Tennessee to bet. So, Cooper Mays will tell us the down, as he always does, and we appreciate that because you know as well as I do, John, that the center calls out uh, down and distance pretty often, right? Yes, he does, and he continues that on your show. I hope he's being paid handsomely for that for that effort. Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. Coop here. First down. There we go. First down is this, John. Best moment in the swamp. There aren't a lot to choose from for the Vols. It's got to be 2001, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, 2001, excuse me. Yeah, that was in December. The game was uh, was postponed from September. If they'd have probably played his schedule, if had 9-11, uh, the 9-11 tragedy hadn't occurred, it, they would have played in September and Florida would have probably won and would have ended up playing for a national championship. Played in December. And Tennessee ran rough shot over the Gators. Amazing. The the score wasn't indicative of the game. I think it was 34-32, but it was amazing how Florida Tennessee pushed that Florida team around. That was a very talented Florida team. Spurrier thought it might have been his most talented team. So that to me just uh that overshadowed anything else that happened. I think Tennessee was an 18-point underdog. Yeah, and Caleb, the thing that stands out to me most about that game is Steve Spurrier just seemed like he would not run the football and Tennessee ran that Prowler package where they had guys standing and John's laughing at the name of it. But basically it was the challenge for to, to run and they just would not do it. And he continued to throw the football. Well, Tennessee had a couple of advantages that whole year. One, when you have John Henderson and Albert Hainsworth, you can play a much softer coverage because you know you're going to stop the run with just those two guys in the middle. Florida didn't have Ernest Graham. If you guys don't, if you guys recall, Ernest Graham got hit with a pretty dirty cheap shot by Florida State the week before, which had so they had Robert Gillespie starting in that game. I don't know if Ernest Graham playing would have made much of a difference because of how much how much of a push Tennessee was getting on the defensive line in that one. But yeah, I, I I remember that one significantly too. It was um, yeah, you're right. And Tennessee just absolutely dominated on the ground as a game. That's definitely the best moment. The Hail Mary in 2003 does compete as a play though, when Clawson just closed his eyes and let it fly, and James Banks caught the tip pass in the end zone for a touchdown. Yep, no doubt about it. As uh, we go to what down, Coop? You got to let me know. Cooper Mays here, second down. Lowest moment in the swamp. Guys, there are a few, but the lowest moment when the rug got pulled out from under Tennessee in Gainesville. John? 
a lot to choose from. I can name three or four real quickly, but I, the the very lowest to me was 1995, Peyton's first uh, start against Florida. Tennessee's up 30 to 14 late in the first half. I mean, it's rolling up and down the field. We we always hear the narrative is always you know Peyton couldn't win in the swamp. Peyton couldn't beat Florida. But Peyton actually put up some really good numbers against Florida, and he was doing that in that game. Uh, but he was 30-14, to 14, and Florida proceeded to score 48 consecutive points. I don't think I've ever – all of college football I've watched, I've never seen a game like that between two top 10 teams where somebody just went off like that. 48 straight points, and Tennessee kept tacked on a meaningless score, 62-37. to 37 game was the final count but yeah that was it appeared as though Tennessee was on its way and of course if it wins that game it's a favorite to win the national championship but it was uh, a stunning turnaround I would say 93 because as a student I made the trip down there and things went incredibly (laughs) south and uh, me and Rusty who John knows uh, (laughs) left at left at halftime because it was so brutal and ended up Tennessee made a run and we were lost in the middle of nowhere as we just drove uh, in a direction randomly. Uh, so that would be my worst case. You just started dry. You didn't have any place in mind at no, landing spot? Not really. We're trying to get back to his mom's and that was before GPS and that was my younger uh, wetter days, let's say. Um, so, Caleb, that would be to me the lowest moment as I go on a personal level. Well, y'all are both wrong, and because there's actually a fact on this. This isn't even an opinion. So I get your point in 93. John, I feel you in 95. That's why I felt in 2007 with Tebow going off. But at least those teams were talented. It's 2017 when Tennessee is facing the worst Florida team in decades in the swamp. And they're in the top 25, and only Butch Jones could be incompetent enough to lose that game. Florida wins off a Hail Mary, and Butch Jones says in the press conference, well, you know, we don't have a dime package. And that's why they beat us over the top. <laughs> Whoops, slipped up on that dime package. <laughs> I mean, how do you not just put an extra defensive back out there and pretend? It was the uh, – what that game was 17, you said? I'm thinking yeah, 2017. About, uh, okay, I'm thinking about the 15 game there in the swamp. When, also incompetent. When, when he went uh, full butch on that one, and they scored, and, and all he had – Everything got to go for two points here, and he didn't. He just kicked the extra point. That was after uh, Jalen Hurd scored a touchdown. I think he was planning on kicking a field goal, and he was shocked when Jalen Hurd ran into the end zone. Exactly what happened. And so after the game, he defended that by saying, well, we have a book, and that's what you go by. Well, the book said, no, you don't kick. You you go for two there. (laughs) So his explanations – were always his greatest mistake. He was better off just moving along and not commenting, but he always made things worse. It's like Nixon. Wait, real quick story <laughs> on that game, that 2015 game, John, because you might sway me. Uh-huh. Because this is like this is this is literally when Butch Jones and Jim McElwain coach against each other, it was dumb and dumber, like I've never seen. And mm-hmm. Jim McElwain was down by six, decided to kick a field goal. I think it was the third quarter. Butch Jones did, expected him to go for it, so he didn't have a field goal block team. He burned the timeout to get his field goal block team on when Florida was kicking like a 55-yard field goal. And then Florida decided out of the timeout, you know, we're going to go for this instead. And then they convert the fourth down. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'd forgotten that till you brought it up. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess Butch would have said afterwards, well, the book said <laughs> you call a timeout there. <laughs> and they could have used that timeout on the last drive when they were that, trying to That was just goal. a brutal – that – it, it depends, I guess, when you say what's the worst game. Dave went personal. I went overall impact on the season. And and you went for just a baffling uh, coaching errors. Uh, there's so many different ways to look at it. But when you look at that 15 game, that was there were so many mistakes Butch made in that game. Tennessee, act, at the very end, actually had a chance to get back in there. And, and he – it was just, it was just some crazy decisions. That was Butch Jones at his worst. That's the Butch Jones Arkansas State administrators should have seen before it made that hire. Wow, I like the oh. Nixon comparison, by the way, because he he was a liar and he did make things worse. He's by, not by- a crook, Dave. Also, Nixon was smart. At least you could. He had, he he he, oh, he, had, he had some things working upstairs. He oh. was smart. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Tennessee center Cooper Mays here, third down. Greatest UT player in the swamp. It is. It is Casey Clawson. Discussion over. Uh, excuse me. I go back to that 2001 <laughs> game with Travis Stevens rushing for over 200 yards. Okay. All right, Caleb. Yeah, it's obviously Travis Stevens. Okay, 226 fine. yards. All right. Casey Clawson, I'm going Iceman. All SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. John, you've been to a lot of places. Where does the Swamp rank among the hardest places to play, you think? 1990s, it rate, rate, rated right at the top. Uh, now, not so much. Florida fans are, are classic front runners. Um, so when their team takes a downward term, uh, they follow along and they're off to the purple porpoise a lot of times <laughs> dave you've probably been there i've been to the purple porpoise i thought you had yes maybe mm-hmm. uh several times uh when it's good it's right up there in my opinion with the best in college football you're right though it can be incredibly uh dark and dank when they're not good i will say this the humidity is always going to work in their favor against tennessee early in the season uh, Caleb, your thoughts before we get to uh, another topic here, sir? Yeah, it's it's circumstantial. I'm with you guys because it depends on if they're doing well, but also it depends. Say they are doing well. I think at night, Death Valley at LSU is the toughest stadium. But I think if it, if Florida's doing well, it's it's brutal even for a noon game, noon kickoff. Florida fans will still be. They might even be more brutal at noon than at night. It's. Uh... It's pretty hot in Tiger Stadium. Humidity's pretty high. It's been running in the hundreds. I don't know what it'll be in September, but I think LSU is probably the one of the toughest places to play now. Uh, you couldn't tell it by Tennessee last year, but there there are a lot of venues in the SEC that are really hard places. Tennessee, I think Neyland Stadium, when it's on the top of its game, it's as it's as rough on opponents as anybody. Uh, I.e., the Alabama game last year. Nope, totally agree with that. All right, John, let me ask you this. You're an NFL team. You have the first pick in the draft, and they say that you have to pick an SEC quarterback. This I, I, re- I quit. Yeah. I quit. <laughs> Walk out. Quarterback yeah. play is, I'm so, gone. is so down in the SEC. You have to take one. Who are you taking? 
I would take Garrett Nussmeyer of LSU. Yeah. Backup? Yeah. <laughs> Caleb, you. I would go because I think it's his extremely unintelligent offensive coordinator holding him back. I would still go Spencer Rattler. I think with the right coach, Spencer Rattler could be a threat in the NFL. Guys, I'm I'm taking Joe Milton if I have to. If I have to take a guy because of, because of the upside. Because of the upside out of this group, I'm taking – I really am taking – You, you would take him over Spencer Rattler? Yes. How big I probably, is- I probably should have taken Spencer Rattler. I, I just forgot about him because I saw him sacked so many times against North Carolina. I thought he was no longer with us, and, and I apologized to him and his family. So I would take him, and then I would take Garrett Nussmeyer back up, who's a better passer than Jaden Daniels. I'm just saying – Look at the upside and what you could get. Listen, this, and I don't mean this is a knock against Josh Heifel. He, I've, I've talked to coaches about this. He is coaching his guys to do his scheme. And that involves some limited footwork ability. But that's fine because that's what he does. If you got him under a quarterback coach guru, like Brian Dayball or David Cutler or one of those guys, you could turn in that's two very different people. You could turn him into a very, very good quarterback in a system that runs something different. There's just too much ability there. You really believe that, Dave? Yes. Oh, I thought you were just saying it for effect. Okay. No. Dave, right. You're the one who told me that accuracy, like he, the, you talk about ceiling. He does have a ceiling at a part of his game, though, which is accuracy. I don't think, like, I don't think, no matter how, you, we talked about this over the weekend. No matter how hard he works, he's never going to be that accurate. Okay. I, I I think he can be much more accurate. I don't know that he's going to be an A-plus guy. I think there are a lot of guys that get by in the NFL without being an A-plus accuracy guy. But the comparisons to uh, Anthony Richardson, uh, which we've seen, um, I mean, he played well over the weekend. That's what the NFL is nowadays, guys, is you have to have the ability – to stretch the field, but you also have to have the ability to run around. And I think he can do both of those. And I don't, I don't see anybody else in the sec other than Spencer Rattler uh, that has that combination. We haven't mentioned Jaden Daniels. Do you think he's a non NFL quarterback? Oh, I think he'll be drafted, but he hasn't shown me enough accuracy. He, he only throws pretty much out routes and they, they, they seem to be afraid for him to throw over the middle. Dave, were you a big fan of the Raiders pick of Jamarcus Russell, number one? Was that a, one of huge? Your, uh-huh. Huge. Okay. All right. We both like the scissor. Oh um, did, yeah. Well, and, what, did, none of us mentioned KJ Jefferson, by the way. No. Yeah. And, and before we get to KJ, Rocky Top Tom says Joe's accuracy is directly tied to the emotions of the moment. Things go well. He's great. Things, he says, thong. <laughs> nice little miss ball, Rocky Top. Yeah. Thongs are going well. The spiral begins in more ways than one. Um, Don could be a segue to a later item in the show. Yes. Aside (laughs) from, aside from thongs, let's not be too, uh, revealing, but, uh, John, yes, (laughs) but this is a, um, aside from thongs, if, if he is a front runner, that's, that's a whole different problem, but I don't, I don't believe that at this point until I see more. I, I just think you did a 180 on Joe Milton, Dave. I, I didn't see that one coming, but and that's that makes for good uh, good shows. No, but Actually, I'm, 
why would you not draft him if if Richardson is going that high? Why would you not draft him? High? He's nowhere near as athletic as Anthony Richardson is. He he doesn't move that well in the pocket. Okay. Well, no, I d- I'm not a fan of his pocket movement. That's he's got heavy and feet. And also, I'm I'm kind of coming over <laughs> because of what I said and what John wrote over the weekend. Um, I'm starting to think Joe Milton's biggest problem is the fact that he's a front runner, or when he spirals, he spirals worse. And I mean. That we have to let's just say it, guys. Is Joe Milton mentally weak? And I mean, he tries to be mentally tough, but you can't teach that. <laughs> yeah. Like, because John it seems like it seems like it seems like he yeah. can't get things right for himself when things start to go wrong. He just panics, and they just get worse and worse and worse. I What's disagree. It? I disagree. He bounced back from uh, uh, he bounced back last weekend against Austin P after going one of eight, his stat line was actually pretty good. And against Virginia, he had about a four throw streak in, in which he was inaccurate and he bounced back. I think it's the exact opposite. I think he, he, he bounces back from those things. I thought I was the one always defending Joe Milton and Dave was, you know, picking apart his game. It's as though we had a roles change role change here. I, I mean, is this like practice for future shows? No, uh, okay. Robert said Robert disagrees as well. Dave, the eternal optimist, the glass is half full. Hold up my water bottle, and uh, it's it's uh, a third full, right? So now I I mean I just I think it speaks to and guys maybe I'm trying to illustrate this point a little bit, but I think it speaks to the quarterback play. It's just not very good, John, in the SEC this year. It's nothing like last year. And and you watch some Pac-12 football, and you'll see a lot of good quarterbacks. You don't get that in the SEC. Um, but we're only two games in. Some of these guys could come on strong. Maybe Carson Beck will have a big year. Uh, Jalen Milrow could turn it around. <laughs> I'm sure he will. I'm sure uh, It is crazy that Jalen Milrow, after week one, looked so great, and he wasn't even mentioned. But but it was I mean it was like again you got to consider the competition and and not just look at the stats but if you see the play and see the you know see the game it it gives you a completely different view I and maybe we're being too critical uh, certainly that's an important important part of uh, Caleb's game and uh, to be overly critical I mean he's calling out Joe Milton's. Uh, mental prowess uh two games in so mental toughness yeah i just think he i think he i think he panics a little too much he can't forget about the previous play he's the other he said he can't do do that he had trouble with that he admitted to that but i thought he'd gotten better this year and um maybe he will maybe this game the austin p game will become an aberration when was Jeremy Pruitt hired? Do you remember? He was hired in January of 2018. What was the? Do you remember the day that was? Does he? That was December of 2017. It was December of 2017. No, no, it was Cause January. Because he, he did get the early signing period. He oh wait, wait, wait. I'm thinking when he was fired. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I think I blocked out that anybody would be stupid enough to hire him as a head coach. So I don't even. I don't even remember hiring ever happening. I remember a firing happening in January. So he's hired in December of 17. Do you remember what day, Caleb? No, I, I want to say I think it was like doesn't a, matter. This could it be, no, but I mean, could it have been a, 
a Black Friday or a Black Monday? No, Fulmer orchestrated the coup to take over on a Black Friday. Um, okay, that's and, right. and then uh, <laughs> he was yeah. he was on. And, as we know, John John Adams is the far far beat from John Adams to criticize Philip Fulmer. He never does that, by the way. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he he was on sale on a Black Monday, the way I remember it, or a Black Friday. I think uh-huh. it was get this coach, uh, get him half off because he's not very good. And he yeah, breaks. and you get like thirty bottles of water with him too. Yeah, yeah the, the point bottle. is why Tennessee was darned and determined to be absolutely horrible in that hire as the finalists were Jeremy Pruitt and a couple of other goofballs. After this, we address two minutes with John Adams, Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off Thug Sports. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. You're listening to The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off The Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Is there nothing you people can't do? Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. Do me a favor, hit that like and subscribe button. If you haven't to this point, we certainly appreciate that. Turn the notifications on because we'll have great things dropping from the Celebrate 98 series. Uh, we're looking forward to visiting with uh, Philip Fulmer, and that should be fantastic. And also, we got a tea sighting, maybe T. Martin coming up before the end of the week. So a lot of things going on. The ball report with Jacob Warren, the ball report with Cooper Mays, so we enjoy that. John Adams, nice enough to join us on a Tuesday. Jimmy Himes will join us tomorrow. So we've got a lot going on, so much that I just dropped my stuff. 
So there we go. I've got my notes now. And uh, let's uh, get to this, John. And I wanted to get your, your take on this because we go back to the Jeremy Pruitt hire and it could have actually been worse than Jeremy Pruitt because we've got the Mel Tucker harassment story that I don't want to really dive deep into. But basically, he is admitted to doing all this stuff and he it just the sexual assault is just ugly. And uh, but he says it's consensual. Uh, I have my questions about that. What what was consensual? I don't phone know, sex. Real... Let's just call it. It was phone sex. Basically. Phone sex. Yes. And he yeah, says was... that. He says that the. I'm kidding. I, I yes. knew what it was. I thought the thong reference earlier was foreshadowing for what we were going to get that into. Was, that was we're not, not talking about Lane Kiffin, guys. <laughs> but how much worse guys could it have been than Jeremy Pruitt? Because Tucker, a couple people did come after him at Michigan State. Kevin Steele was the other finalist, by the way. Uh, but Pruitt got the job. But Tucker. Some people came after him, so they had to give him this monster contract. And now they're probably going to get out of it with the sexual assault or inappropriate contact or whatever you want to call it. It, it was harassment. Harassment, not uh, assault. Harassment. No contact was made. Yes, harassment. So, John, how much worse could it have been if, the, if Tennessee's going through this now? Well... It's hard. Uh, I mean, the Jeremy Pruitt for the Jeremy Pruitt era to have been worse. I think there would have had to have been a death involved. Somebody would needed to have died for it to be any worse. Uh, but I, I kind of, you look back to those coaching hours, Kevin Steele's ramrodding that Alabama defense. We saw it Saturday. Uh, <laughs> it, you might remember Kevin's Clemson defense once gave up about 700 points <laughs> in a bowl game to, uh, to West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. And, uh, so that was, an, uh, yeah, that was a, that was an elite trio. So I guess your dream staff or nightmare staff could be Mel Tucker's your head guy, <laughs> uh, Kevin Steele, defensive coordinator, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, I, I guess linebackers coach, secondary maybe. He's, <laughs> he's, the director, he's the director of compliance, guys. Yes, who's your? No, who's his your baby, offensive? his babysitter would have had that job. Yes, who's your offensive coordinator in that staff? Uh, you you wouldn't have had an offensive coordinator. You'd have been all about defense. You don't need an offensive coordinator. <laughs> they would have been so good defensively. Nobody would have ever scored. Fair. Uh, you look at that trio of coaches, mm -hmm. Steele, Tucker, uh, Pruitt. Um, why did things get so bad at that point where that's your, that's your trio of finalists? Well, um, it by the way, Lance says Pruitt's in charge of catering, so it'll be Chick-fil-A. So <laughs> it could be. Uh, there's a conspiracy theory out there that Philip Fulmer wanted to hire a really bad coach who would fail, and then he could become the head coach. He could take over the reins uh, as head coach and lead the Vols to the promised land once more. It's just a theory. Do you think that could have ever been the case? By the way, he's just about 22 or 24 wins shy of General Neyland's all-time wins record. Uh, with his tracker record, I wouldn't say it's totally far-fetched. 
I, you yeah. know, he just comes in and say, Hey, I'll run things for a couple of years until we hire an actual coach, uh, fail the first time, but we'll get somebody better next. So I, I thought the direction you would go was that, <laughs> that the, the leadership was so bad all the way up to the chancellor position. Oh, and that, and I think that that's what makes Tennessee so different now is what I was trying to get around to is that all the way up to the chancellor position, the president, everybody seems on board. And I don't know that that was the case. It was so splintered back then. I think that's why Tennessee fans should be optimistic. Even if you have a bad game here and there, it's like the whole foundation is much better, John. Oh, much more so. I mean, you had Bev Davenport as chancellor. She was your crazy Ann in the attic. If she would have, uh, I mean, she put Fulmer, she moved him in the AD's job. It's not a stretch at all to think if he went to her and said, hey, till we let me straighten this thing out. I'll be head coach just on an interim basis. We'll turn this thing around. Then we'll hire a younger guy to take over. That's not a stretch. Caleb, do you remember back in that coaching search, who who were the the candidates early before they got down to the finalists that Tennessee was looking at? And did they have any real shot of getting them because they were so out of sorts, the entire athletic department? Well, before – so this, this all stems back to the way things went down at the beginning, which was John Curry took way too long to fire Butch Jones. And John Gruden rejected – by the way, we talk about – things Tennessee dodged a bullet with. They dodged it with John Gruden, too. Robert said we needed John Gruden. He um, he ended up being a a pretty great racist. But they took way too long to fire Butch Jones, so they got behind the eight ball and trying to get Dan Mullen, which is why Dan Mullen ended up at Florida. And then they just – and then uh, the the greatest, uh, most successful son of a billionaire ever, Jimmy Haslam, who has never made a mistake in his life, really tried to uh, force through the Greg Schiano hire. And that obviously backfired. And then it's like they had like a deck. It's like if you had a ranking of the best hires, it's like a tornado hit the room and moved them all around because their next move was Mike Gundy. Then it was Jeff Brom. Then it was Dave Doran. And just as they were closing in on Mike Leach was when the coup happened. And I'll say this much. John Curry's list of uh, coaches was a lot better than Philip Fulmer's list of coaches on the radar yeah, mike gundy's the ultimate tease good gracious that guy's flirted with 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 people and gone back to his wife and said i'm, I'm gonna leave for you unless you give me more to something but in this case it was money from <laughs> oklahoma state um, <laughs> i mean john but did tennessee have to bottom out with jeremy pruitt to clean house from top to bottom I'm talking chancellor on up, AD, chancellor, whoever you want to talk about. Did they have to bottom out with Pruitt to make a hype will happen? No, I I think maybe, I mean, John Curry was on the brink of making a good hire. I think he would have hired Mike Leach. I really do. I think he, I think Leach proved he was ready to leave. He'd been there a while. He was ready to leave Washington State. He, he took the job at Mississippi State. If he would have taken the job at Mississippi State, surely he would have taken the Tennessee job. And so, John, so it's almost like it's right there. I mean, think about it. Ooh, who do we want? Mike Leach or Jeremy Pruitt? And I, I mean, they were so close. And then Fulmer sabotaged the whole thing. 
I don't believe Philip Former thought, Caleb, that he could get the head coaching job by hiring a bad coach. I think Fulmer still believed that Tennessee was what Tennessee was in the 90s, which, again, you could maybe get away with like a defensive-minded, non-game-planning, kind of simplistic Jimmys and Joes coach in the 90s if you're at Tennessee because Georgia's got, as you refer to him, Dave Drunken Ray Golf, and Alabama's got uh, Mike DeBose or whoever. So you can recruit a lot better, whereas now you need more of a schematic advantage. The irony in all this, by the way, guys, as we're talking about this, we talk about Tennessee kind of dodging a bullet with Pruitt where the NCAA scandal that happened was a good thing for them because they could fire him for calls and clean house. I can tell you this right now. Michigan State fans are secretly thrilled about this. The program was going nowhere in they didn't have the money to pay Mel Tucker's buyout, but they're losing transfers left and right. Now they can fire Tucker for calls. So they're in a similar situation to Tennessee in that way. Is, isn't it amazing how school administrators will take one reasonably successful season and just throw everything they have money-wise at the coach and line him up for with an incredible contract? I mean, we see it all the time. It just takes one good season. Oh, we better lock him down it just it, it's just such a waste of money mel tucker what is he he had one good season at michigan state right yeah. i don't think he had more than one good season and yeah, it wasn't a championship season he had one good it was, season. An, it was an optimistic season yes and and what he wasn't he at colorado for a cup of coffee he bolted after a year at colorado yeah yeah well so, I, i'll say i'll say this too guys and it if he wins a championship, if Jeremy Pruitt wins a championship, I always wonder, which I know is far-fetched, the latter thing that I just said, but I always wonder if administrators would find a way to cover this stuff up. If if they if they want it out there because they want to get out of a buyout. I always wonder that. Well, I think, though, the administrators thought there was ne- no ne- championship was happening with Jeremy Pruitt. Exactly. I, they thought he was a blithering idiot, and you have to get him <laughs> – you have to remove him from the premises as fast as possible. Uh, so, yeah, I, it worked out. It worked out to Tennessee's advantage, but it, we get back to the leadership thing, and, and you brought it up, Dave. That's what's so different about Tennessee now. Doesn't mean it will win every game, but it's in so much better shape leadership wise with people that can make tough decisions, people with decent judgment, people with a modicum of common sense. And you didn't have that for a long time. Presidents, chancellors, <laughs> coaches. No, you're right. John's appearance brought to you in part by where he got the shirt, the Hemp House, the premier hemp <laughs> dispensary with a wide variety <laughs> of great selection and strict standards to ensure you only receive the best in CBD or Delta products. Go to Hemp House Chat with two Ts.com. Hemp House Soon to have the big orange crunch developed just for off-the-hook sports uh, with your Delta 9 products. It's a fantastic shirt, John, and I hope you have a great day and get a lot of compliments on the shirt. Yeah, I'm sure I will, Dave. Thanks for thanks for plugging it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Have a have a great day, sir. See you guys. John Adam. How dare he gets on you and your cool Miami Vice look, whereas he's wearing that shirt. Hey, he gave me a compliment. So he said, I give hope for the generation. So I take that as a, as a great badge of honor from one of our former presidents. 
Yeah, I'll tell you more about that big orange crunch thing, but that's going to be really awesome. So uh, looking forward to that. And then you had what happened last night, and that is what the H? What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. Some of the most disappointing early season injuries for the Vols as Aaron Rodgers got knocked out of the game early. It was first series. First series, yes. It was, to me, very reminiscent of one Jerry Colquitt. Now, that opened the door for Peyton Manning. But at the time, you remember, if you remember, that football team was pretty loaded and Colquitt was ready to take over. And the young quarterbacks, uh, Brandon Stewart and Peyton Manning, were going to learn behind him. And now it seems as um, if the Jets will have to figure something out. But not to don't really care so much about the Jets. I'm just curious about early season injuries that you recall, Caleb, that seemingly could have or did derail uh, the season. I would argue that the Colquitt injury happening was actually an okay thing. Uh, I know they could have fought for a red shirt. This is probably a little bit before your time, and they chose not to, a medical red shirt. And I, I know that he probably wasn't real happy about that. But it opened the door for Peyton Manning to get early experience and be a really good uh, quarterback. So I would argue that that actually, no offense to Jerry Colgan, but that was actually probably a good thing for Tennessee's program. Am I crazy? Well, by 1995, it, it would yes, Peyton Manning was better. Like I, the Peyton Manning freshman to sophomore, I, I wasn't watching this time, at this time. I was too young, but everything I've read, it seemed like the freshman to sophomore leap by Peyton Manning was just insane and so i'm with you on that but remember peyton manning's plan was to redshirt with brandon stewart they were going to redshirt together and todd helton was there mainly just because tennessee needed a backup to jerry colquitt and then after colquitt left in 94 it'd be peyton or brandon peyton that would get the job in 95 and then they would rebuild not so sure though they because okay let's let's play this out in our head real quick Peyton Manning is a redshirt freshman in 95. I think Peyton Manning stays all four years, maybe through 98. He didn't want to leave Tennessee. So it's possible that he stays as a fifth-year senior and starts for Tennessee in 1998 when T. Martin starts, at which point maybe T. Martin redshirts and starts in 99 and 2000. So the Colquitt injury could have just altered so many things going forward. I'm never going to say I – don't, I don't necessarily always believe – I don't believe in accelerationist. I think that's what you call it, where like you, you create a negative where things get worse so they can get better. That's um, having been a student of history. I don't believe in accelerationism. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, and, but I, I will say that, look, if jo- Jerry Colquitt starts that year, Tennessee's going 11 and one. I mean, they go 11 and one that year. And we don't, and we don't know as great as that nineties run was, that could have even done more wonders for them after that. Now, and some of the other ones, I'll tell you the two that I remember most. Okay, so I was at the game in 1990. That was the second game of the season when Chuck Webb was injured. And just so you know, with ACL injuries, if they can tell, if they say that the ACL by the shifting test of the knee that you'll see, if they tell you that it's probably a torn ACL, they're right 99% of the time. 
Now, there are times where they can't get a good diagnosis and they'll tell you that you have to do the MRI the next day, Caleb, which is usually the way it goes. I can remember driving or riding home uh, with, uh, with, with who I went to see the game with and riding home, they said he's probably out for the season. You didn't used to hear, I guess it was John Ward who shared that, you didn't used to hear it that quickly. So you knew that it was bad. And I thought he was still one of the most talented running backs that I've ever seen. The other one that I remember distinctly is Jamal Lewis in 1998. But what did that do? That opened up the door for the Travises. Tennessee would have been better with Jamal Lewis. I'm not implying that he made them better somehow uh, by, by being hurt. But um, I remember those two very distinctly. And you brought up one that had kind of slipped my mind a little bit back in 2002. Yes, Kevin Burnett got hurt in the opener against Wyoming. And that really started a slew of injuries that just wrecked Tennessee for the year that 2002 was, it was probably the biggest mulligan that Philip Fulmer ever deserved, because I don't think I've ever seen a team get hit with the injury bug uh, the way that did. And Kevin Burnett wasn't, as you knew, I I remember because Kevin Simon then stepped in for Kevin Burnett and Kevin Simon got hurt after that. And I don't know who had more hype. I believe Kevin Burnett had more hype than Kevin Simon fully healthy. I think Burnett was still the better player. Uh, you may know more about that than I would, but I think fo- both of them fully healthy. Kevin Burnett was probably the better linebacker. But- uh, I, would t- I, w- I would take Burnett because of his explosiveness. You got to remember Kevin Simon had an ACL injury his last year in high school. So his knees oh, were, yeah, that's right. were pretty beat up. So he was probably a shell of himself by the time that he was a regular season starter. So I would take Burnett. I think I'm- Burnett had a great um, – a great career in the NFL. I will say this though. Um, I thought Kevin Simon, if he's a hundred percent healthy is, is a great Mike linebacker for the foreseeable future in his career. We just never got to see that Caleb because he was, he was injured before he even got there. Yeah. And then another one, I look, you're, you're going to think I'm just defending Julie on this, but this was a bad luck situation. 2011 Tennessee at Florida, they're 2-0. Justin Hunter converts a third down and goes down on a non-contact injury. And remember, Tennessee's very thin that year. And their big advantage is Tyler Bray throwing to Justin Hunter and Derek Rogers. When Justin Hunter went down, that that was going to derail Tennessee season no matter what. I think if Justin Hunter stays healthy and Bray can stay healthy, there's a very good chance Tennessee maybe goes 8-4 and four that year rather than 5-7. and seven. And so that was just a real bad luck for Tennessee that year. But a lot of people would be happy about it because – Talk to Josh Ward. People wanted to see Dooley fail. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know when we look back on big injuries, I think a lot of it is how you overcome them, and I, I mean that from a, a mental perspective as well. The '98 team wasn't dissuaded by their goals because of the Jamal Lewis injury, which I think is pretty phenomenal. They will admit that they were kind of taken aback, but they were also taken aback when the Travises hit the field and played well in Lewis's absence. So. Yeah, I, I would say that that is an incredibly important thing for, for any team. And Tennessee is one of those teams that has had to deal with that. And I give them kudos. Cooper Mays out, uh, Keenan Pilly out. And I thought they, I think they've responded very well in both situations. The, the running game and pass uh, protection has been good with Ollie Lane at center. And then with Keenan Pilly out, Aaron Beasley has a fantastic game last week. So I think they've dealt with that. I think a lot of that is is how you deal with it. And 
I think that has been uh, pretty impressive by the ball so far. Did they play great against Austin P? No, but I don't think that was the center or middle linebackers position, Caleb. In exactly 90 seconds, we'll be back with a great breakdown of the Gators. Pat Dooley will join us with WRUF. 90 seconds, and we're back. Pat Dooley is fantastic. Stay tuned. Candace, I was I was really heavy into the drug culture. Um, I was selling drugs. I was just constantly in pain. I was missing like a good support system in my life. Candace has given me everything that I need in order to successfully have a wonderful recovery, in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible. And it's not just about me anymore. And I love that. I absolutely love it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers, featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. A college football tradition like no other. Yes, sir, boys and girls. Or a guy that just won't leave. Wow, that is sad. The Dave Hooker Show, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Back to Dave Hooker. Let's get him right in here. It is Pat Dooley with WRUF and one of the uh, best reporters slash columnists, in my opinion, to uh, cover an SEC team. Fantastic resume. Pat, how are you, sir? I'm good. You guys hear me okay? Yep. We got you loud and clear. Uh, Certainly appreciate the time. Let me just start with the, the broad lens, and that is what do you think of Florida through two games this year? I know less about him than I did before. Uh, that, that's the weird. Same, same in Knoxville. I know. Well, that's a weird thing. I mean, they played that first game, obviously, on the road, hostile environment. Uh, things did not go. I mean, Billy Napier was stunned by how poorly they played and all the mistakes they made. They came back. They played an awful team, uh, handled them uh, the right way, you know, ran the ball, got to play a bunch of kids in there, would have had a, a shutout, but the 14 tailback fumbled at the eight. So, but does that mean anything? No. So I have no idea. This is going to be the litmus test for this team. So, Pat, when I watched them play against Utah, I think the thing that stood out to me the most was if there was ever a year Florida didn't need a pure drop back pass or a quarterback, it might have been this year. Um, and I want to, I want you to elaborate on that. It seems like they're, it seems like they just have some issues in pass protection. Am I right about that? Or was that just Utah? Well, they did in the first game and Utah did a great job, but don't forget Utah has got a really good defense. I mean, this is an, uh, you know, an sec type defense. So I'll give them credit for that too. Uh, but they didn't block well. Again, they had basically five new starters because their starting center was, uh, not healthy enough to play. So, uh, they they had five new starters and, you know, guys had struggled to get to know each other. I'm not sure how 
Could the tailbacks blocked in that game either? So they you know, they they definitely struggled with it. So um, but the next game, of course, you're playing McNeese or McNeese State, depends on who you want to believe is the real name of the school. But um, you know, you have that game and and they did a great job. They they block well on the run. So again, I, I don't know about this offensive line. Um, but the, they've got what they've got a quarterback, and there's no, nowhere else to turn. So um, it's, you know, it should it, it could have been different, but it's not, and it is what it is. Were you surprised by the line that started at eight and a half and is now seemingly settled at seven? But I wouldn't be surprised if it went down. Well, you know, um, I think it was in double digits this summer at one point, like ten and a wow. half or something, because I checked it. And I think Florida was a 65-point underdog in their five biggest games. So that's not good, you know. Uh, but um, I'm not surprised. The only thing is um, I, I, the bookies tend to give the Swamp five points. Like most schools, it gets you get three. There's places where it's four. And there's other places where it's five. Um, but the Swamp always tends to be a five point. So that means kind of they think Tennessee's 12 points better. And they may be. They, they may well be. I would not be surprised uh, if they went out there and, and handle Florida, again, um, because of the talent that they have. They've got older talent. You know, that's the biggest problem. Florida Florida doesn't have a, a senior on their entire three-deep defense. So, you Ouch. know, yeah, that's uh, – we can blame a lot of things for that, but we're not here to blame people. No, we're <laughs> here to support people and bring people up, Pat. That's right. We're- <laughs> We're here to unite America. <laughs> That's right. That's what we want out of our media. <laughs> um, uh, Pat, it, interestingly enough, I, I've always wondered the Florida perspective because I know that Tennessee, theoretically, this should be one of those years where Tennessee is the better team. They're favored going down there. But at the same time, it is Tennessee, Florida. And for if you don't know, Tennessee fans have an expectation of beating Kentucky, regardless of if Kentucky's top 10 and they're unranked and having a losing season, they still find a way to beat Kentucky. Do Florida fans feel this? Does Florida Nation feel the same way about Tennessee? Like, yeah, okay, they're top 10 and we're struggling right now, Florida, but it's still Tennessee and we just beat Tennessee. That's what we do. I don't, I think, I, believe it or not, this has been an incredibly smart Florida fan base this year. And I don't always say that about them. Um, but uh, they understand where Florida is. And it, it's going to take a while. Uh, and they also understand that the last nine nine games that were played in the Swamp have nothing to do with this one. The only thing it has to do with it is that Princely Uman Namalin, whatever, I, I never can pronounce his last name, sacked Hendon Hooker and, and knocked him out of the game. So we got to see Joe Milton for uh, eight passes in the fourth quarter. That's the, that's the only thing they have in, in common. But, you know, Basically, it's a new team for both teams, you know, um, new quarterbacks and everything. So that that has nothing to do with this. So I think the fan base is like basically saying, look, this is great. We got them at home. We're going to rock this place. It's going to be loud. We're going to make them understand how what the swamp means. But we also know we might lose the game. And if we do, it's not the end of the world. We're, we're trying to stay off the ledge. Now, the opposite of that would be if Florida goes out and does the kind of things they did against Utah and they lose the game. And that's where the heat all of a sudden gets turned up. Right now, there's no heat on Billy Napier. Um, I believe that there is um, there's two kinds of heat: perceived heat and real heat. Perceived heat is what the fans think there's heat on uh, somebody, or the media thinks the real heat is when the AD or the president are, are you know and the big big boosters 
are putting the heat on. So there's no heat on Billy Napier right now. But if he goes out and, and they commit a bunch of false start penalties, which shouldn't happen at home, um, you know, and, and do some silly things. And if they somehow end up with two number threes on the field again, um, yeah, people are going to go, What? well, what's going on here? There's already a, a group of fans who really want Billy to get an offensive coordinator. And I'm like, they had a good offense last year. They really – I, their problem wasn't that they didn't have good plays called in the last game. There are things that I don't like that he does, but, you know, I mean, we'll see how he does in this game and how he does this season. Maybe at the end of this season he needs to look at it, but I don't think so right now. Tracy kind of read my mind on our message board, said Florida handling NIL about as bad as it can be until that's fixed, no turnaround. They have had a couple of very public issues in the NIL realm. I think Tennessee is actually one of the best in college football in the NIL realm. How would you evaluate Florida to this point? Well, it was a mess. There's no doubt about it. Um, there were I, There's a lot, lot of stories here, but there were a lot – the, the, the people that were running the NIL were basically trying to do it $10 at a time, which is not how you do it, as we all know. And uh, so you you ended up with guys not being able to get money. And then they were promising money. You know, Jane Rashad obviously was promised by somebody outside um, to, to get all this money. That That's a whole mess. And that's done. They, they've taken control of it. The, the law changed in the state of Florida, so they could take control of it. And Florida could be involved in it a lot more. Um, and so they're doing a better, much better job. Guys are making money. And there's no doubt about it um, here in Florida. I think every player gets something. So um, is it helping? Yeah, it's helping. They've got guys who are, who are doing pretty well financially as far as that goes. They're not, I don't think, at that level of Tennessee or certainly Alabama or Georgia, uh, who was doing NIL four or five years ago. They've been great at NIL. Um of, um, you know, of Texas A&M. I, I mean, there's still uh, – Florida's still lagging a little bit, but they're, they've definitely gotten better at it, and they, and it's organized, and they know what they're doing now. Pat, just for comedy purposes, uh, looking back at the Florida-Tennessee series, how much do you miss trying to figure out who was going to outwit who when Butch Jones and Jim McElwain were going at it? <laughs> There's, there's nothing I missed about either one of those guys. I can tell you that much. Right there. Um, no, that was, but think about that. Uh, think about Butch Jones and, and those two games. I mean, it's unbelievable how Florida won those two games. And, um, you know, McElwain, uh, you know, his, the best play in the McElwain era might've been a, a, a heave that was not scheduled and wasn't, wasn't supposed to do it. And they ran, they ran a play for across the middle and ended up throwing the ball down the middle. So it's just somehow he found a way to win those games. Uh, the two that he, he coached uh, here in the swamp, of course he lost the one up there, but nah, it was never a, it was never a battle of wits. <laughs> That's a very good point. Uh, you, you had a player, uh, on, our, on our message board, I know Jadarius Perkins entered the transfer portal, portal during the season um, and, and maybe some others uh, as referenced on our message board that I haven't heard about. Is is that a red flag or is that just roster change with under Billy Napier? One, one of the guys who got in the portal, I didn't even know was on the team. So that tells you something right there. Um, but Perkins wasn't going to play. I mean, they, there's a they, look, they 
they didn't run off guys, but they basically let them know, here's what you're going to have to do if you want to play. And, and a lot of guys said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get up at six in the morning. Uh, a couple of linemen left that just didn't, didn't feel like doing that. They didn't feel like putting that work in. And I'm not saying that that's the right way to do it. <clears throat> but certainly this is Billy Napier's plan. And so they left. But uh, to, to leave during the season means you didn't get to play in the first game. So you're, you're gone, you know. Uh, that's the world we live in today where guys are, if you don't play, you're taking your ball and you're going somewhere else. And you, and maybe you do and maybe you don't. Maybe you get in somewhere. Or maybe you end up playing, the, you know, in front of 5,000 people. So, uh, But I, it's not a – it's not a – Look, they're putting the hammer down on these guys, and they had a rough week of practice last week, even though it was just McNeese because they had played so poorly. Um, but they're, you know, they're going to get the guys in there that they want that'll do the things the way they want to do them. And whether that works or not, I don't know. I, I know that it works. It worked in Alabama. It works in Georgia. And but the bottom line is that there's no guarantee it's going to work here. You just got to wait and see how it goes. But um, obviously, they're 15 games into uh, this experiment. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but based off what you said about putting the hammer down last week in practice and this week, it it sounds like they kind of have – this may be too strong, Pat, but the back-against-the-wall men, mentality sort of thing early in the season? Um, wasn't so much that. It was that they had practiced really hard and it really worked hard on everything, and then they just looked like a team that had not practiced in the Utah game. And uh, I think they just felt like we need to get this stuff figured out right away. We can't wait. So let's get it figured out. And then you can take Tennessee week and not maybe go as hard physically so that you save some of yourself, but you mentally you're prepared and you're ready to go. So uh, that's my theory. Again, we're not allowed to watch practice, so we can only go with what people tell us and what um, – and that is what I was told by somebody who did watch practice, that they went really hard. It's more of, hey, we, you know, let's get this right. You know, we're not getting it right. Let's get it right. Pat, great stuff. You're so tan. You make me want to go sit outside a little bit. You're making me look uh, a lot of golf. Pretty white. Pretty white. Um, uh, how do we follow your work? Uh, you, you do fantastic stuff for WRUF, I know. Yeah, I'm on WRUF.com. We do the radio show five days a week. Uh, at Pat underscore Dooley is my Twitter. And I do a podcast twice a week. Uh, Mondays with Steve Spurrier is always fun. We talked a lot about Tennessee. If you want to find that, another duly noted podcast, pretty easy to find. And you can listen to the uh, former HBC who terrorized Tennessee fans by calling it can't, – you can't uh, spell – Citrus without UT. And then he, two years later, he played in the Citrus Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> the best was actually in 96. He did a thing at a meeting where he was like, let's look at Tennessee's goals this year. No SEC oh. East, no SEC And then like, it was like, not no. even a state champion because they lost no, to Memphis it was, that year. It was actually a, a piece of, uh, it was a paper, a, a mimeograph paper that somebody had sent him. And he, he handed it to me at the, at the uh, media days that, and he goes, here, he goes, don't, don't tell anybody I gave this to you. But, um, but yeah, it was uh, national championship crossed out, SEC championship crossed out, SEC East championship crossed out, Ten- state of Tennessee championship crossed out because they lost to Memphis that year. <laughs> so, yeah, we had fun with it. And then, I think he said, like, Knox County regional champion. Yeah, Knox, County. <laughs> Knox, Knox County regionals. 
<laughs> I don't remember that at all, but that's golden stuff. Pat, I appreciate it. Uh, have have a great rest of the day and, uh, and enjoy the game and the rest of the season. All right, guys. Great, great uh, being on with you. I appreciate it. Pat Dooley, WRUF, long time with the Gainesville Sun, knows as much about Florida as anybody. Can you imagine spending a little bit of time with Steve Spurrier every every Monday and his quick wit? I mean, again, there is a coach that I've never, ever loved a coach and never will. Like, I love Steve Spurrier because I he's just so honest and he doesn't hide. It. I mean, you you know this. He's going to tell you the truth. He's the, he's the least likely coach. Josh, he would not be Josh Heupel. He would be very much. He would tell us how long Cooper Mays is out for. He would tell us. He would tell us that Joe Milton played awful over the weekend. Green Wave says sounds terrible to spend time with Spurrier. No. He is so competitive. Uh, I remember, and he—I don't know if it was a hip issue or what—but he showed up to SEC Media Days about four or five years ago, and he was part of uh, some show. I can't remember what it was, but he—he he essentially reminded everybody that uh, what was the AF AAFL or whatever it was. Remember oh, the, uh, the no, it was the uh, yes, Alliance of American Football League. Yeah, yeah, whatever it was, he reminded everybody that even though the season had gotten cut short, that his Apollos had had won more games and deserved the championship. It, that's what he remind he worked it into the conversation. It was like, what do you think of the SEC this year? And I was like, just want to remind everybody that uh, you know our Apollos, um, you know, we won more games than anybody else. So technically, uh, we should uh, we should get the trophy. Just 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 remind oh. you. When, you know, God forbid, when Lee Corso is no longer able to do college game day anymore, come on, Steve Spurrier on college game day every week, just how great would he be? He would absolutely not want to do that, but he would be great. <laughs> I think that's Agavi's <laughs> job. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the hook sports each and every weekday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Like, subscribe, notifications on because big things coming down the pike. On a daily basis, he's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the hook sports. Thank you.